if we have to print your hashtag on a piece of paper or put it up on the screen, people don't like your event. Oh. There should be a crowdsourced hashtag that starts without you saying anything. Wow. If you're doing it right. Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Hey everyone, welcome back to another incredible episode of For the Love of Money. I'm about to sit down with a good friend of mine, Billy Bowie, and you are going to love him. He is so full of charisma that just when he gets on the mic, it's just a joy to be around him. And so, of course, you're going to enjoy the next 30, 40 minutes. And that's what he does for a living, by the way. He is the founder of an Atlanta-based company called Elevate Experiences. And he's an MC by trade. So huge companies like Chick-fil-A and Delta and all the other ones that you know of, they hire him to come in and elevate their company's events, elevate their experiences, be the MC for them, add a bunch of color, add a bunch of hype, make it fun, do ideas that you wouldn't think of anyways. And he is the expert at putting on better events. His expertise is helping organize organizations improve their culture, build stronger teams, build stronger leaders and create raving fans. And I know that's what all of you are trying to do. You're trying to create raving fans no matter what your business is. Now, what's cool is he's a former pro baseball player and his superpower, the way he was able to make it into the league and everything else he's done that's so successful is taking his perceived weaknesses and making them into strengths. And he's going to teach you exactly how to do that on this episode. We also talk about how and when to build your company culture. And I think his answer and the way that he teaches you to do it is going to surprise you. It is very implementable, if that's even a word, for all of you. And Billy's company, like I said, helps other companies put on better events. So of course, we do a deep dive on how you can put on better events yourself. Because listen, I'm warning you now, the biggest trend in 2020 is every person Every company, every influencer, every podcaster, every solopreneur, everybody is going to be doing their own events. And if they're not, they're going to be falling behind for a number of reasons. So we're doing a deep dive on why and how and when and where to put your money and how to make it an incredible experience where people are raving about it and sharing about it on social media. He literally gives you a couple of formulas for you to use when you're putting on your event. And of course, towards the end, you're going to love the way he enrolls his teammates when it comes to philanthropy. He involves his company, something that you can do yourself with your team. You're going to love this idea. So get ready, listen up, because there is so much value in this episode. Billy, my man, how you doing? I'm doing so well, Chris. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm excited for this little face-off thing that we're doing. You know, I've done about four of these now, and my audience loves them. Well, what's fun about face-off is we get a chance to kind of uh, get get in on each other's skin a little bit, have some fun, ask some tough questions, ask some fun questions. So I can't think of anybody I'd like to face-off with rather than you, because I'm a huge fan, and I'm, uh, I'm pumped about this, man. Let's go. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay, so I would start my show with a little bit of rapid fire, just a quick way to warm everybody up. And if something really good comes up, we can circle back around and do a deep dive on it. You want to do that? Let's do it. Okay, I've got one for you. I'm going to start real easy. Here's a softball. Where'd you grow up? ATL, baby. And you're still there, aren't you? Born and raised in Atlanta. Love being in my city. I want to be the mayor one day and own the Hawks. Is that for real? That is for real. So uh, Jesse Itzler, who's part owner of the Hawks, we got a chance to see him last weekend. And it's really fun to get to connect with him and seeing where he's headed with his career is where I want to go with mine. I love Jesse. I'm actually doing that uh, 29029 that he puts on this October coming up. Are you really? Yes. Yeah, so, okay. So technically, I'm well, on the waiting list, but they assure me I'll get off the waiting list. No problem. So I mean, I'm training as though. Tell the listeners what that is. All right. So it's the equivalent climb to Everest. And he does it a few times a year. This one happens to be in Vermont. And what you do is you go up this mountain 17 times and then you take the gondola down. And the 17 times up the mountain is the equivalent to if you start at the bottom and then ah. summited Everest. So obviously <laughs> not the same altitude, but the same distance. And what's so wild is each time up the hill it takes 
Oh man, 45 minutes to an hour I hear. So this is 17 hours of grueling climbing, but with other epic human beings. So you kind of feed off each other. So you and I got a chance to talk about sports last weekend. We were together just talking about different epic characters within sports. And a lot of it came back to the why. And we were discussing Andrew Luck a little bit and how his sort of stepping away from the game for a greater purpose. We, we got talking about purpose a little bit. So I want to ask that question to you. What is your purpose for doing this 2909? Like, There's obviously a big why behind it. What is your why for it? Number one, I think it'll kind of push me to do new things that I don't do right now. This is way outside yeah. my comfort zone. You know, I don't, you sleep in tents uh, on your breaks. It's way past. I mean, you know me. I love working out. I love physical stuff. But this is like way past anything I'd volunteer for. I'm not like some endurance type of athlete. So number one, it'll, it'll really show me and make me do other things that I don't typically do right now. Number two, um, the people that do it, and this is the strategic side, the people that do it are nothing but like the highest level entrepreneurs and epic human beings. And so I am no dummy. I know for a fact that this is where I'm going to be able to go and develop some relationships with some high-level individuals that I wouldn't otherwise be able to develop. So I'll meet great people. And the bond that you create when you do something grueling together for 17 hours... Matter of fact, I, th- I think the entire race is like 30 hours. You get to take little breaks in there if you want. Uh, but that bond is irreplaceable when you do something grueling together. So I'm not, I know I'm going to come out of there with some really great high-level relationships to, to help you know, continue to lift up my life. Well, I know you started this as rapid fire for me, but I'm flipping it on you because I've been so impressed watching your story. And those of you that are listening that do not know the origin story, you need to go back and find yours because you and I are about the same age. And watching you on Instagram and other platforms have a servant's heart towards your Fast Foundations mastermind, which is dope. And seeing your high-level mastermind, I've seen people that... I've seen characters that have these types of things, but they forget where they came from. And I see that your grind, your hustle, even, even having the perspective of this climbing Everest thing, obviously you're doing it for yourself for purpose, but also getting around the right people. What, what has that meant for you? Getting around the right people and finding the right kind of folks to spend your time with. Like, What has that meant for your career? Yeah. So I would put people into two different classifications because of the way you're asking the question. I would say there's incredible human beings that I choose to spend time with because they lift me up and they hold me accountable to continuing to grow. And I believe that all of our happiness comes in a continual growth mode. When you're come stagnant, on. that's when you're unhappy, right? Come on, come so on, let's number go. One. Number two, uh, things like our Fast Foundations Mastermind, our Elite Level Mastermind, that's a different category. I love participating in those and putting those on because I get so much fulfillment from it. Moving the needle for other people's business is very selfish for me. Don't, don't be fooled. This is not like some great act of charity. This is very selfish for me in that I wake up excited. I go to bed fulfilled. I feel important. I feel like I'm contributing. Um, you know, Think about the ripple effect. It's no different than being a teacher in a classroom. When yeah. you can help take somebody's business and make it explode, all their customers, all their business partners, all the jobs that they create, all of that stuff is a trickle-down effect because you took the time to care about them and their business a little bit. And that is selfishly one of the best feelings on the planet. Well, I think that a lot of people will put that servant leadership out. I'm just here to help others. I'm here to help others. And I just kind of want to just call bullshit every now and again to go like, yeah, I get that. That's your motive. But man, it is incredibly selfish to help others. I know that you're involved with Pencils of Promise and you do, you and your wife both do a lot of really awesome things. But man, if we can be fulfilled as humans and grow and help people, then it's a, it's a beautiful mix. So I love your podcast for the love of money. Is How does it go? Is if you put... When good money people and, make good money, they do great things. And listen, this is on. what you're talking about. Billy, this, this is what you're talking about. Everybody takes it a little bit too far, in my opinion. They act like they're Robin Hood or they act like, oh, I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it to help people. Nah, just like own up to the fact that it's okay to help people and make money while helping people. It's a great yes. way to make money. And you don't have yes. to be ashamed that you're motivated to make money, especially when you're a good person at the core and it is a tool that will allow you to do great things. So let's stop hiding under this BS veil of like, I'm just so holy and so amazing that I'm doing it just to help people. Nah, you're helping yourself too. And that's okay. That's where the shift has to happen is realizing that is perfectly okay. Matter of fact, that's a beautiful energy exchange is the way it's supposed to work. When you receive something in exchange for helping other people, it's this beautiful full circle moment. Well, when Justin Timberlake in his concert, the 2020 experience in Atlanta, he said, 
I don't want my music to get in your ear. I want it to get in your blood. And I remember where I was standing. And I remember the moment that things changed in me that I don't want to create just a moment in time, just an event. I want to create experiences. So I know we're kind of going face off a little bit. Um, the podcast for me created for experience. The reason I put it on is I want to discover people's life experience and what that really means. And getting a chance to really hear more about your experience in your life um, has just been incredibly inspiring. So I know I'm kind of hijacking your face off quick questions here, but you got me. No, got me let's, I say we roll with it, but I do have a question for you that's related yeah. to that. Yeah. What's one of your superpowers? For me, the last scene of 8 Mile describes my superpower in its best form. If you know the scene, Eminem is there about to battle against Papa Doc. And I'm a freestyle rapper as well. And I've just always loved that art form. And what happened in that moment is one of his best friends, Cheddar, says, aren't you afraid what they're going to say about you? And M just kind of looks at him with this kind of slant face. And then at the end, Eminem goes first in the rap. And if you've seen the movie, he just basically just throws himself out there. Here's all the things that they would say about me. Now what? And he throws the mic to the other guy saying, now tell these people something they don't know about me. And I think for me, I love that underdog mentality of, yes, I have messed up some things in my life and I failed in some areas and I haven't been afraid of that. And you know what? That does for me. And what my superpower became is I realized about 21 years old that I was really, really good on a microphone, that I was really good at holding a mic and engaging with the crowd and making it more about them and about myself. And it turns out people started paying me a lot of money to do that. And now being an MC by trade and being a host and an author and a speaker has been so much fun. But the secret sauce behind that is realizing that, man, at any given moment, it all could be taken away. And if I can keep the underdog focused for me and not forget where I came from, it gives me the... It, it's, why, it's why I get so amped on a podcast like this. Because I know our listeners that are tuning in right now, they have a choice of whether to take that thing that happened to them and flip it to say it happened for me. And at the Summit of Greatness at a Lewis Howe's event this last weekend, that was the main topic people were talking about is having that mindset. So my superpower has been not forgetting where I came from and knowing that the underdog is okay and the underdog is going to win. I mean, you're a Green Bay fan, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> there, there's been seasons you guys have been the underdogs and that's when you get that chip on your shoulder. That's when you grind more, right? I think everyone's sleeping on us this year, by the way. Well, everybody's sleeping on the Falcons too, but they should be. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Hey, I want to ask you a question that's a little bit an extension of what you just said. And you said, remember in 8 Mile, the closing scene when he just lays it all out there. Now there's nothing bad that anybody else can say about him. What have you laid out there? Or what would you lay out there that most people be, would be afraid to tell about themselves? There are a lot of things that I have laid out there in small groups of people where I feel like it'd be the right moment to share it. And more and more as I grow as a human and as I get older, those are the things that draw people to closest to me. One of my biggest ones is that I had a speech impediment when I was a kid and I would stumble over my words and get really nervous in front of people. And um, I also had a, an abusive stepfather that um, mentally, physically, emotionally abused me. And I remember through school having this speech impediment, being really afraid to talk in front of folks and always being afraid basically for my life and never quite could stand on solid ground. Those are two for me that I watch people take a deep breath and go, oh, you too. And wow. there's just something special when you can say, man, I can connect to that deepest level and knowing that your weakness doesn't have to be your undoing. That thing you went through and somebody else's insecurity, fear, anxiety, pissed off at something else and they took it out on you, it doesn't have to be the thing that stops you. And so I go right from not woe is me. I'm so grateful that I had that happen to me because now I can look in the face of people that have had that happen and say, hey, if this happened to you, it happened to me and you have the ability to overcome it. That's why I love what Gary Vee says. He says, stop making excuses. If there's someone else that looked like you that's done it, then you can do it too. So that's one of the things that I'm, I can go right into being ashamed of really quickly, but I've seen people get so freed up from when they've had abuse or they've had some sort of impediment that stopped them and seeing... I let people get on my shoulders for a minute and say, hey, let me encourage you that if, if I can do it, you can do it too. That's amazing. And by the way, nobody would ever know that about you because your entire job is like getting on stage, being an MC, making events better, you know, being the PR guy. That's it's really funny how some of our weaknesses end up being our strengths. Well, my stepdad also told me that I was never going to play professional baseball, and so I took that. You know, like having that. I call it the healthy chip on your shoulder. I went and threw a baseball every single day, and I ended up getting drafted by the Florida Marlins out of high school. I played college baseball at Auburn University. 
I signed with the Philadelphia Phillies and my very first person I faced in the minor leagues was Derek Jeter and I got him oh, out. Wow. So I'm pretty, pretty fired up about that. That's but, awesome. Um, yeah, I only got to play a couple of years in minor league baseball, which is a lot of fun. But I know that chip on my shoulder, I could have taken it and said, screw you and gone a different direction. But instead, I, I took all that in, put it as a chip on my shoulder and made it happen. So I just think people need to not just shove down things that people say about them, but just take it take it as fuel. You know, Take it as emotional fuel that you can move forward with. There's a clue here. If, if people are listening, there's a clue here. Billy takes negative things and uses them as fuel. Other people take them and use them as excuses. Whew. We all have our circumstances, right? We all have negative things or traits we're afraid of or weak spots. Billy uses them as fuel and doubles down on making them better. Other people use them as, as excuses. And it's why you're as successful as you are, bro. So why... Why do you think people make excuses? It's easier. Like when something happens. It's easier. Yeah. Listen, making excuses is easier than making money. It really is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like taking baby steps instead of huge leaps. It's a baby step effort yeah. to make an excuse. It's a huge leap to do something scary and push through your fear and be consistent and do what others won't and all that stuff. It's just simply easier. And the great irony is this. People think it's a little bit more comfortable to make an excuse than it is to go out there and do the work that it takes to be successful. But all of those little itty bitty decisions, every single little excuse is really just keeping you buried in freaking discomfort. But because it's just a little bit at a time, it doesn't quite feel as horrible and and uncomfortable as it truly actually is. I mean, the real comfort is on the other side of pushing through all that garbage. It's on the other side of you know, not doing the little things, but doing the, the big things, taking the big risks and, and stepping through the big fears and doing the big deals. That's really what everybody's after. But they think that they just want to keep their head low and, and protect themselves and make the excuses to justify where they're at. You know what the real answer to your, to your question is? It's this. We are at the core justification machines. We Ooh. all justify where we're at. Do you Say realize it. this? So if you are... And I'm gonna I'm gonna trigger some people here. I apologize, but if you're trigger if you're middle class and you hear rich people talking about you should become wealthy and you get triggered by that, you're really just justifying, well, I wouldn't be like them. I'm not doing it for the money. I would never want to do this. I would like we are so good at selling ourselves on why we are where we are because we know ourselves so well. We know what our hot buttons are, you know? Well, take people back for you, and it doesn't have to be the the super long version of the story, but I I loved, and I heard a snapshot of this when, when you and I were talking several months ago about where you came from and where you are now. I mean, those of you listening in, I want you to know that Chris wasn't always this way, right? I mean, you, were, you didn't always have where you are now. But take me back to maybe a turning point for you where you decided, all right, I'm done with excuses. I'm going to turn to where the person that I am now. Because I, I think I, I see you, I see your wife, I see your success, I see all the many wonderful things you're doing, but it didn't. It didn't always happen that way, right? No, God, no. And it, and it never does for anybody. You know, I think there's a few very pivotal moments. Uh, one of those pivotal moments is I was booted out of, out of college after two and a half years. I was excited because I didn't want to be there. I wanted to be out participating in the economy. My parents were devastated. They were of the old school where go get into a good school, get good grades, you'll get a good job, and you'll have a good retirement. And, and I yep. just didn't buy into that. And so I, I look back, I literally sabotaged myself at school knowing that in an indirect way, it would be my way out so I could get out there and start participating in the economy. And that's what I did and, and started in car sales and learned uh, both sales and leadership. And I believe if you can learn sales and leadership, then you can write your ticket anywhere. Then I got into banking because the big banking boom was happening. And I flew up through the ranks there. And it was amazing until the recession hit. And when the recession hit, it was just like everything turned off like a faucet. All the money, all the fun, all the positivity, all the... And I spent the next year flying around closing all branches, telling people, hey, we're letting you go. Here's your severance package. And that was the worst year of my life. I gained 30 pounds. I was miserable. I'd comfort eat. I'd go drink at the hotel after letting a whole branch of people go and shutting it down. And I gained 30 pounds. And uh, because I was miserable, then you know I was a miserable spouse to my wife, Lori. So it was the, the worst point of our marriage as well. And what was really interesting is that moment is... Oh, it's also the moment, by the way, where we were living way beyond our means because I was young, as in my 20s, I thought it'd last forever. And so when that, that money shut off like a faucet, we had to short sell this big home that we just built and get rid of all of our cars, walk away from all of our investment. Pro- like it was a crap show. 
And we had to start wow. from below zero again. Now, I don't let anyone convince you that it's supposed to feel like this beautiful blessing while you are in your storm. But when you look back on it, I don't know a single person yet who hasn't looked back on this very tumultuous time of their life and pulled some great lessons and some second chances out of that. And that was the yeah. time because really we were starting from, from nothing that I got to reinvent what my priorities were, how I wanted to show up in the world, what I wanted to do to actually add value. And that was the start of Lori's and my entrepreneurial journey that people tend to know of today. Do you, do you, and there was a, there was a turning point there. You said the word value. Do you mark your life with what kind of value you can bring to the world? And second question, follow up to that is in your Fast Foundations Mastermind, your Elite Mastermind, all the leaders, entrepreneurs that you lead, do you help them discover what their value proposition is to the world? Like, how do you go back to that word value? Tell me about that a little bit more. You know, when I use the word value, it was what values do I want to build a foundation on? So I want Mm. to build a foundation on the values of contribution and love and success and experience and accomplishment, philanthropy. And so if you look at before we lost everything, I was building, I was building on a, a house of cards on a, on a quicksand foundation that was built on how does it look to the outside world? What is the title on my business card? How many people do I lead? Um, am I a good quote provider to my wife? And at the time, my definition of being a good provider was a joke. It was as long as she didn't have to work, then I was being a good provider, which you know was robbing her of any chance at really going out and doing anything fulfilling because I'd move her around every single year. It's just really funny. Like When you're stripped of everything, you get to choose how you want to show up in the world and what you want your values to be that you're going to build your foundation on. What, what are your values? If you had to list your values right now that you're building your life on, what are they? Yeah, my number one value is relationships. And I realized throughout life, the people I can build relationships with and the way I can, as you mentioned, display those values to them that I want to love them, encourage them, be there for them has been something for me that's been incredibly successful. I haven't been perfect at it like anybody. There's relationships that I've I've lost and relationships I haven't always done the best thing in. But that has been my number one. Number two is enthusiasm. That word for me is not cheesy or forced. It just means professional joy. And the word within that is a Greek word behind the word enthusiasm, which means entheos, which is the God within, which I love that illustration of what enthusiasm actually mean. And then the final two that that I would say is initiative, is taking the steps that others aren't willing to take, and then bravery, which for me is kicking ass in all circumstances. So those are my four. If I were to boil down like at my gravestone, I would want those four carved in. I wouldn't want it just to be lip service or something I put on my wall because those have served me so well. I can go back to many times where relationships are everything. And I can go back to many times when enthusiasm served me so well when the odds were stacked against me and I had a choice to step up. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that you just mentioned too, is you you have the opportunity to choice. If you want to change your values, stop making excuses about other things. Just go change your values. I mean, go go take that initiative. Go take that step out. People want to blame their past or their history or their family or um, a failed circumstance or whatever it might be. The pattern that I see with leaders that I get to talk to is there's this moment where you just decide that you get to decide and saying, how am I going to make that change? So yeah, I like the Michael Jackson song. It's like, I go back to the man in the mirror. Like, what, mm-hmm. what does that mean for me? So those four have served me really well. This is what you do, by the way. Part of your company, Elevate Experiences. You help people improve their, their culture and you're trying to create better leaders. Give me an example. And of course, leave out names, leave out companies. But give me an example of a time that you worked with a leader where they had to really choose differently than they were choosing right now. What they chose differently going forward and the outcome. I'll give you something that happened yesterday. We led an event for two hours at a giant company in Atlanta that will go unnamed. But we had 25 leaders there, huge company. And the leader realized that trust and transparency were not something that their department was all about. So they brought them all together. They hired us to come in for two hours and put on a workshop for two hours about trust and transparency. So I had some great conversations. Um, I led them with questions, taught some content. But then what we do is we use innovative ways to bring up better conversations. I believe that people grow into the conversations you create around them. I'll say that again. People grow into the conversations you create around them. So as this particular leader, she realized, I want to start a better conversation. And we used virtual reality. There's this VR game where you can uh, diffuse a bomb with inside VR. It's amazing. I've got four VR systems we use at our company. And we do a lot in the virtual reality space. 
But we used a new platform, which was virtual reality, to talk about a timeless truth of trust, transparency, and communication. And it's an amazing experience because I watched that leader by the end and I talked to her afterwards. And hearing how some of her team members had visceral responses and realized how selfish they've been because this man in the mirror idea, it's not always on the leader to, to change everything. Is if you can get your entire department, your entire company to point the fingers back at themselves. And as again, I'll quote Gary Vee again, it's just, it's all my fault. I'm putting it all on my shoulders and take ownership of how they respond was huge. So watching her have those downloads and watching her with tear-filled eyes look towards her team and, and say, I realize that I've not been a leader I want to be. And I want to be more open and trusting of you. And I've been micromanaging. Would you forgive me? And watching, I call it kick the bricks. Whenever, I'm, whenever I, have an, I see bricks forming between people, you take that mortar and you stack it up. Mm-hmm. I try to challenge people. How do you kick those bricks from between you? So that, that's just one illustration that happened just yesterday. So it's fresh in my mind. But I really... I like to cut through the crap with people and go right to the bottom of the line and saying, culture is not happening the way you want it to happen, not because of them, but because of you. Mm. And that's where, that's where it begins. So my first book comes out next month uh, called Culture Reconstructed. I've got the final... Um, actually, I got a copy of it sitting here on my desk and we're about to, about to release it. And, and really, the bottom line of it is it's a start where you are guide to building a culture of impact. And so if I can help people... Get those building blocks. My, I have three kids. My kids are five, six, and seven years old. So things are crazy in my house. But I'm always playing with blocks with my kids. And I always talk about if you don't build the strong foundation on the bottom, the ones at the top don't matter. But I feel like most companies are talking about these icing on the cake, 401k, PTO days at the top where the bottom blocks are communication, collaboration, fun, hiring, these basic building blocks, and I've kind of broken it down for them. So that's that's what I love doing. And I, and I don't know why I love doing it other than I love teams and I love the Red Sox that several years ago when they started winning World Series, they talked about more of the chemistry in the dugout than the performance on the field. Mm-hmm. And I just bought... I keep buying into that. It's, it's the chemistry of the dugout. Because you're going to get those ups and downs in business. But if you can get that chemistry right, you win everything. Man, that is so true. Okay, so I want to ask you an extension of that question. Talk to yeah. me a little bit more about you know, culture and team building. So many people listening are solopreneurs and small team entrepreneurs where you know they've got a brand and they're hiring a 1099 uh, website builder over here and a 1099 graphic artist over there and you know maybe someone to edit their podcast over there. So you know, they got this tiny little team and it's kind of a part-time team, but they're consistent. Here's my question. How soon is too soon to start defining your culture and building a better team than you're doing right now? At the moment you decide that you have something you're going to bring to the marketplace, whether it's a service, whether it's a product, something you are going to exchange exchange dollars for them, you doing something for them is when you really need to consider what your culture is. And if people don't know what they stand for, they'll fall for anything. And so I I take a lot of different brands and, and look at how they built a really, really strong foundation first, and then they grew from it. So to all the solopreneurs out there and the people that are grinding to make that you know, first six figures, I remember that feeling when, when my business went over six figures for the first time. And I remember when we broke the you know, half a million mark and then the million mark. And, and all those are just zeros you add to the end of the bottom line. Your P&L statements looks a little bit bigger. But when I went back to it, for me, the thing that has held strong is if you don't know your vision, your value, your core strategies, from the get, you're just going to be growing a hundred different directions. Yeah, you're not going to so correct re- it later once you're busier, right? There's no, there's no way you're going to have to let people go and change directions, or have you know, I could come to Jesus moment, like, hey, I, I realize we haven't done this, we need to do this. So even Which if you're awkward. a small team, yeah, very, very much is. So even if you have a super duper small team and just a couple people are a part of it, they want to be a part of something bigger. And so one of the very first things we did at our office at Elevate is we put on our wall, our vision. We exist to help people and organizations live and lead at a higher level. That has been our phrase from the very beginning, from my very first office, our very first team member, is we want to figure out how can we help people and organizations live and lead at a higher level. And that's just stuck. We've got a giant event we're producing on Sunday. And that is the mantra. All right, we're going to go down and help Auburn University live and lead at a higher level. We've got a, a thousand college freshmen that are coming into this massive event. How can we begin that conversation there? And then when I get one-on-one with somebody in my office or a brand new hire we bring on, that is the same exact mantra. And it served me well. But it wasn't until somebody got in my face saying, Hey, if you don't know what you're stand, if you don't know what you stand for, if you don't know where you're headed, then nobody's gonna follow you. You're gonna look around and 
There's going to be a bunch of people running in different directions. So I would say the earlier, the better. But don't feel guilty if you haven't. If you're listening to this and you have a small company and you've kind of sucked at your like vision and values, that's why I created the book Culture Reconstructed. The RE in the beginning of it is, is going back to the basics of what are those building blocks? What are some things that I can do to bring the conversation around to my team? And then trust happens and growth happens. That is awesome. So if you're a solopreneur, grabbing Culture Reconstructed is like a must-do. Yes, I, w- I would love that. I mean, for me, Chris, uh, you know this. When you produce a piece of content, you realize that somebody can absorb and actually get better. It is a high like no other. Mm. It's your fast foundations. When you watch somebody as a solopreneur in your mastermind, you watch them get a concept and go, holy crap, I can actually take this and go make more money and impact more people. It's everything. So I feel that way. It is a, it is a heart level work, this book. I've kind of laid out my entire heart. My team has worked really hard on it. So we're really proud. What's one of the best lessons in there? The best lesson in there, and the best lesson in the, the writing of the book is it takes a lot longer to write a book than you think it does. <laughs> I meant That's in the right. book. I meant for the readers. But that is a true lesson. Oh my God, I watched yeah. Lori go through that and it was grueling. Everyone thinks that writing a book is this romantic thing. Like you're going to wake up and the pages are going to flow and your publisher is going to help you get it out there and it's going to be the best time of your life. And it's the opposite of all that. Like you have to wake up and just sit yourself in the chair, even when you're not creative and go through the reps. And some days it's nothing. Many days it's nothing. And then your publisher doesn't do squat and you got to find a way to get it in people's hands. And everything yep. about a book is a beast. And you do it because you love the message and you know it has to get out there. And I have such greater respect for books. And I see authors that have actually taken that to get there. I have a deeper respect when I grab one going, hey, they put their heart and soul in this. So I need to spend time reading it. So I appreciate that. But for me, chapter one, I'll just tell you that my, my favorite concept there's a quote right there in the very first chapter. It's from Helen Keller that says, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. And the concept is just the word gather. And I think whenever you get your team together in the same room, and Chris, I know that you you think for your team and do this well, and I know other people that are entrepreneurs or listening probably do this, but you haven't quite thought about this grid. I think about a Venn diagram, which is just three different circles that coincide right there in the middle. And you've got to think about three things for your team. You got to think about their mind. You got to think about their heart. And you got to think about their being. Let me break that down. Their mind, you need to give them data, facts, information, things that their mind can take hold of that they know what's happening, what's happening next. So in your business, what are the things you're appealing to their mind? And then you've got to appeal to their heart. What's motivating them? Why are they still working there? What are they all about? And then their being, are you really taken care of? Where do they park when they go to the event? Um, what time are they expected to be at work? What is the 401k? If I'm a 1099, when do they get paid? Am I honoring by that? So you're thinking about their being. So that's my favorite concept. And it's a fairly easy one. But when you break it down, you can see that people that have all mind and being, and they're not thinking for their team members' hearts, you're going to have a very demotivated team. If you have heart and being, you're going to have a motivated folks. They don't know anything. They don't know what's coming up next. So that beautiful balance between that Venn diagram is the thing that I think is going to sell this book the most. And what's going to be the people's favorite concept? Mm, that's awesome. Culture reconstructed. When's it available? So we're coming out with it on October the fifteenth, which is also my birthday. So oh, uh, excited about that! It's coming out coming out real soon. That's awesome, man. Congrats! Thank you so much. I love it. I want to ask you another question. You you really excel at helping people put on better, more interesting events. This is something I've heard you talk a lot about. And here's why I want to ask it of you. I believe the biggest trend of 2020 in the influencer space, the solopreneur space, the podcaster space, the individual brand space, I believe the biggest trend in 2020 is going to be everybody with their own events. We're already seeing it. Yep. So talk to me. How do you take an event from good... Because listen, when it's a crowded space, good is not good enough. To absolutely epic, like raving fans already bought a ticket to the next one, can't stop telling their friends about it. What, what are those differences when you're putting on an event? So our process at Elevate, and I think this will serve the listeners, if you're putting on a live event or you've seen one, you'll start to recognize these patterns. Our process is listen, design, produce. Listen, design, produce. If you can begin with your ears to really lean into not just who's going to be on stage, but who's actually in the audience, why are they there? What are they listening for? Um, what are you making them feel like? If you could really spend a lot of time listening, like my favorite question I ask clients before we work with them is, if you're producing a live event, I was actually was voice noting Ed Milet back and forth after um, the time together there at the Summit of Greatness. And I was telling about our events, what we do. And I said, the greatest question I can ask you is, when somebody gets in their car 
or a train or a jet or whatever, however they leave your event, and they crank that puppy up and they start leaving your event, what do you want them to be thinking? What do you want them to be feeling? You've got to answer that question. You've got to know when they leave your event, what do you want them to be thinking and feeling? And so I spend a lot of time listening on the front end. And I do believe the trend. It's really fun to watch Lori dive into this from the event space as well, is that if you can gather your people, your tribe in the same room, it is incredible momentum. And we've seen this throughout decades and hundreds of years of human existence of seeing that when you gather people together on a common cause and you can give them something worth telling about, you don't have to tell them a hashtag. I tell my clients, if we have to print your hashtag on a piece of paper or put it up on the screen, people don't like your event. Oh, There should be a crowdsourced hashtag that starts without you saying anything. Wow. If you're doing it right. Yeah. Because people want, people want to post it. And what's the hashtag? I don't even care. I'm going to make my own up because this was dope, right? Now, do I think we should geotrack and make sure we know and all that? Yeah. But man, see how many crowdsourced hashtags at your event and how many stories are being told, not just cool posts with celebrities. If that happens, and you got a dope event. So listen part, designing part, do something different. Do something shocking. Do something others won't do. And so one of our strategies at Elevate is to keep it fresh. And so I'm more interested of what Justin Timberlake and Meek Mill are doing as rap and pop mixes. I'm more interested of how um, Taylor Swift is marketing her new concerts. I'm more interested in the brand new toy my kid brings home from second grade and how that might interact. So paying attention to different places that others aren't paying attention to in the event space. And then you bring it in and the crowd goes, holy crap, I can't believe you were so thoughtful that you brought that here. That's Produce. That's um, design. And then from a producing standpoint, I do not like putting up with microphones that don't work. I don't like putting up with projectors and PowerPoints and things don't work. That stuff needs to be tested. So I'm a stickler when it comes to... If you're going to put on something awesome, there needs to be a spirit of excellence. I'd rather do 50% less technical stuff and make sure what you do is awesome because those things should just flow. These days, we're competing with Disney World and everywhere else. You need to have your event simple, clean, and technically savvy where it doesn't distract from what's actually happening there. So that's just some of my tips that I've seen in the market. We'll do 350 events this year, which is crazy. Um, some massive events, some smaller events, and every single one of them we're thinking through, listen, design, produce. Dude, I couldn't agree with you more. Like To all these people listening that are going to end up putting on an event this year, Billy is absolutely spot on. I cannot stand when the lighting is off. And lighting is not hard if you prepare ahead of time to get right. I cannot stand when the sound is off. I cannot stand when you get your lanyard and it's this little junky cheap thing. Or I cannot stand when your handouts are uh, with faded ink on cheap paper. Like I know you're trying to turn a profit, but you shouldn't look at your event as a massive profit center. You should look at it as the tangible representation of your brand which will cause you to make a profit in different areas of your brand. So this is where you need to spend extra on the lanyards, on the lighting, on the sound, on the check-in experience, on the music, on your workbooks. Always go for first class. Don't like do some ridiculous budget where you're losing all your money and losing your tail. That's not what I'm advocating. But what I am saying is go ahead and step it up on the things that matter. People won't know quite why they're enjoying your event so much. They won't know that it's that the workbook feels so good in their hand or that the lighting makes them feel really great or the venue that you you chose was open and airy. They're not going to be able to like explain it in detail, but they're going to walk away saying, that was epic. All my friends have to go. Well, my second book, which is coming out uh, next year, is called Created for Experience, the same title as my podcast. And the whole premise of the book, and you'll you'll love this based on what you just said, is another Venn diagram. As you can tell, I live my life in three. <laughs> this Venn diagram is energy, community, connection. Every event has to have it. So you got to figure out what the appropriate amount of energy is for your personality. How are you taking the room on an emotional journey? What kind of story are you telling that's energy? Community is how are you building moments where your people at your event can connect with each other? That's, that's what community is. It's, it's moments where they can pause your directing conversation. And the last one is connection. That's connecting to what's happening on stage. Are they connected to your message? So energy, what are you building in the room? Community, connecting with each other. And then connection is how are they connecting to your message? So everybody puts on an event. You have to consider every moment of your event as one of those three. And if you're doing it right, all three are happening simultaneously. Oh my God. I love it. I want to switch modes quick because you and I both share an ethos for generosity and just plain old doing good. What causes mean the most to you right now? So what's really fun at Elevate is we designate a certain amount of money um, 
and put it aside and let our team members decide where that money goes. And we have uh, four different places where money is going. And we also put our time in those places as well. And so I had to figure out what does Elevate really want to be about? And how are we one? Human trafficking is one of my great passions. How do we end that uh, stupid ass thing on the planet? How do we do that? How do we get more instruments in kids' hands at schools that can't afford instruments? How do we figure out how to solve this water crisis? And how do we build more schools? Those are, those are four things that I'm passionate about. Pencils of Promise is a big part of what we give to uh, Charity Water, just making sure that I love the way they steward what they're doing. Um, we've got a couple of different ones. The End It Movement is one that I love. It's Passion City Church here in Atlanta. They do a wonderful job. And then another one, the name is slipping by me right now, but it's an organization in Atlanta that gives instruments to kids that don't have them. So those are the four that mean the most to me. And also figure out how I can give my time to those as well is something I'm figuring out. But once we become you know, a multi-million dollar organization, eventually a billion dollar organization, I can't wait to have that same kind of heart because you know this, generosity is awesome. Yeah. Like, and it starts just, early, right? Like oh. it starts when you're making $100, not when you're making yep. $100 million. Totally. And you know this, Chris, already is, is it's tough to peel that out when you know that that extra, that extra amount of money you could spend towards marketing or Facebook ads or whatever. But man, there's something special when you give towards things and then your heart goes there. And I love the idea in the Bible that says, where my money goes, my heart goes also. And I just believe that. Where my money's heading, that's where my heart's going too. And so where's my money going right now? So I, for the listeners, I would just ask yourself, where, where are your dollars going? Because your heart is surely to follow. That is so cool. Okay, I've got to push you a little bit more on this for information because this is brilliant. Everybody should adopt this model. Your team decides where the money that your company sets aside to give to philanthropic efforts, your team votes on where it goes? So we pick out those four organizations. So it's not off the rails where there's just anyone. We pick those four and the team gets to vote on where that money goes. That's really cool. That must really help build um, full circle to, to where we started. I'll give, you, I'll give you a quote. My favorite quote, people support what they help create. Ooh, that is so good. Right? I mean, if, if I'm co-creating in this process of giving away or creating something new, people support what they help create. And I understand solopreneurs and entrepreneurs with a small team. I know that's hard because you can't always have consensus on everything. There's times when you have to get your team on board with something they don't necessarily want to do. But for me, I figure out how can I bring as much consensus as I can. And this is hard. This is work. Whenever you have a team and you start building a culture, it sounds cool and sexy to you know have a happy hour or have the company picnic or whatever. But this gets down into the grind of how am I going to include my team members in the decisions that mean the most? And if I can co-create, they're just going to have more buy-in. Yeah. Here's my tip for everybody. A, a company day of volunteering will go way further than a company picnic if you have to choose yeah. between the two. Yeah, that's good. Absolutely. It really does. I love it. So what's next for you guys? So we've got a lot of really fun things coming up. You know, The book launch is big next month. I'm just redoing my website, billybooey.com. We've got uh, a weekly newsletter called the Keep It Fresh Chronicle. You go to keepitfresh.vip as a spot. So we're just trying to pump out as much positive content as possible from a leadership perspective. And then from a sales perspective, the market is pivoting in a lot of different ways. As you mentioned, a lot of people are putting on events, not just companies. And so I'm figuring out how to crack the code to help as many entrepreneurs that are putting on events do their thing because that would be my my specialty. So you know in the sales process, Chris, you know is sometimes an ad works and then algorithms change and then sometimes organic reach works and then it doesn't quite get to your right avatar. So for me, I'm in the process of rediscovering the strategy of how I tell a better story and get to that right person. But as Jim Collins said in Good to Great, which is my favorite business book of all time, by the way, the simple concept of preserve the core and stimulate process, progress does not change. So you know, preserving the core, serving our clients really, really well. I'm very proud of the client list that we have and the things that we do. But also, what are the new clients? How do we stimulate progress? So those are just a couple of things we're working on. How about you guys? What are you guys up to? I mean, it's almost related to what you're doing. They almost go hand in hand. We're going to have to collaborate. So you know, Lori, my wife, she launched this train the trainer. It's a five-day train the trainer called Event Love. And it's L-U-V, Event yeah. L-U-V, Event Love. And it is literally training people how to build, run, execute, sell out, and then resell out profitable events. They're going to be Love speaking it. on stage there. They're going to be getting feedback. They're going to be learning the, uh, how to budget out an event, like how you know where to spend the money, where not to, what to do when sales aren't going the way you want. I mean, they are, we're lifting the curtain on everything that we do when it comes to events. Because quite honestly, we make a ton of money and very, a lot of profit on events. And most people don't. 
Most people yep. don't find a way to profit on events. And we've just learned the formula to, to doing that. So that's what's pretty exciting for us. We're going to have to find a way to collaborate offline. We'll have to talk because I'm guessing there's some synchronicity in there where either yeah. you can help teach or, or you know, add value and vice versa. Especially because are you moving into... If, if there's a solopreneur listening right now and they put on an event for, let's say, 250 people. Here's the most common event I see out there right now. 250 people, solopreneur. Um, they've got a podcast or YouTube or an Instagram or something like that. And they bring in a few guest speakers and they usually spend, I don't know, 50,000 bucks worth of a budget putting this thing together. Is that too small of an event for you guys to advise on? So we have two things that I'll mention. One is we have the Elevate Flight Plan, which is all my years of experience plus our teams putting together, thus the cheeky word, Elevate Flight Plan, is how do we help your event soar? How do we help it fly? And so that's where we spend a lot of time consulting. If you have an event like you mentioned, most people hire us for a half day or full day to consult with them to start with all the questions you should be asking. How do you create your run of show? How do you have the ligaments between the bones and the structure? What speaker comes on when? All, all the those parts of it. And then typically what happens when we start with a consulting conversation, we end up being the host or the MC from it. That's where I cut my teeth is I'm a professional MC. I love coming in and getting the crowd connected and engaged and putting the ball on the tee for the entrepreneur that's the speaker. And so most of the time, it's consulting. It leads to emceeing. And then if the budget's right and the time's right, we would lead to helping with the stage, lighting, sound, production, all those things. But I love starting with just the consulting side. So yeah, it would work. And then we have companies and um, conferences that hire us. We do a full experience audit. So we have a 12-point experience audit, kind of like you take your car in to get it, get it checked out You know, once every 50,000 miles or longer, if you're me. Um, <laughs> get, your car, get your car checked out. Same thing with us is we would come in and actually go to your event and be able to give you at the end of it a full diagnostic of things that we saw, ways to improve it for next time. So those are two things that we do Ooh, on smaller type That's events. pretty valuable. Yeah. I didn't know you do that. It's fun. I, I love it because I get to really see from an outsider's perspective, but also if, especially if I know the heart of the person putting it on in the group and something they might think that hits the nail on the head, I can give them a couple ideas of how they could do it next time and add a wrinkle or add something different to it. You know, my favorite book growing up was Curious George. <laughs> and he would always break stuff and the man in the yellow hat would sort of reel him back in. So I kind of play the, the Curious George and ask a lot of what ifs. Which that, you know, if there's a listener that has an event that would like an experience audit, that's, that's one of my favorite things because I get to really help people make their idea come to life. So, who plays the man in yellow hat? You know, the man in the yellow hat for me is, is my team in a lot of ways. <laughs> Katie, who is our chief of staff, also my assistant, she does a wonderful job of just making sure that what we say can happen can actually happen. Oh. And I have an incredible team of executors that actually do it. And they're creative as well. Not to say I'm the only creative because they are incredible at that. I have people on my team that sort of reel in the, the directions I'm going in and can actually go do it. Man, where would we be without our teams? Oh my goodness. I, I, <laughs> I would not be here. I'll just say that. Let me ask you this. There's a signature question I ask everybody towards the end of, of my podcast. I'm really curious to get your answer on this. And it's this. Give me a reason why people should be unapologetic about their pursuit of success and wealth. Success and wealth is the key indicator of whether your product, your service, your passion is really true and on point. I believe that everybody on the planet should pursue as much as they possibly can to add as much value, make as much money as they possibly can, give as much away as they can, and serve their communities in a better way. Because listen, you know this, the name of your podcast is very, it's, it's one of my passions. I spoke at the University of Georgia on Monday and a young entrepreneur group that they had there. And I really challenged them, hey, raise your hand up high if you want to make a lot of money. And they were like afraid. I said, no, for real, elbow above your ear, kind of raise your hand. I said, I know that for me, being a Bible reader, that the love of money is the root of all evil, not money itself. Mm -hmm. Like money itself is awesome. It's just a tool to be able to do awesome things on the earth. So for me, I love watching people that are confident enough in their answer and know that their motive is to make a lot of money and then their heart is pure. Because you've met a lot of shitheads that like they make a lot of money and they're just jerks, right? Yeah. Yep. Like that's not what I'm talking about. But man, people that make a lot of money and do good things with it, man, we can do some serious damage, which man, is beautiful. I love that answer. I love it. And it's just a crazy example of of where we are in society right now that when you say to an entire auditorium, raise your hand if you want to make a lot of money, that they have enough shame where they don't raise their hand, even though intuitively that hand wants it's to sad. fly up in the air. It's sad. It's crazy. It's sad. We should not be shamed 
out of living a better life and, and gathering this tool that can help yourself and other people. So folks that are listening in, where can they connect with you and what are you up to next? I know, I know our time is coming to a close and this has been an amazing conversation, but where should folks connect with you and, and what steps should they take to hear about what's going on? Yeah, I've loved my chat with you so far. So listen, you can find me on Instagram at Chris W. Harder. It's the only platform I'm hanging out on these days. Or of course, my podcast at fortheloveofmoney.com. And really, I mean, what I'm most excited about right now is our masterminds. You know, we've got the entry level one where it's uh, for earners who are $499,000 and down. That's called Fast Foundations. You can find that at fastfoundations.com. And then we've got our elite level one, which the threshold is a half a million and up, but most people are in there are a million, two million, three million. And you can find that one at fortheloveofmoney.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm telling you to wake up and be able to have your hands in all of these people's businesses and help move the needle on those things. It's probably the best feeling I've had in my entire 41 years worth of working and, and being on this planet. I love it. Give me one thing I didn't ask you. One thing that you would say to the listeners that is a Chris Harder, get fired up, closing statement. I want you to go do this thing. Wherever you want to take it. I want to hear it. Mm, I love that. You know what comes up for me right now? I want everybody to check in real quick with your ego. Because I'm a big believer that ego is your greatest overhead. And, and this is not me judging. This is me talking about my own journey. Like Ego will cost you more than anything else on this planet. It'll cost you money in the sense that you're spending it on things you shouldn't, so you can't invest it where you should. It'll cause you to speak up when you shouldn't. And it'll do the inverse sometimes. It'll cause you to not speak up when you should, and therefore it's cost you opportunity. I'm telling you, ego is your greatest overhead, not your rent, not your Facebook ads, not your team, not your anything. When you learn to mitigate ego, everything else becomes so much more efficient and affordable in your life. And that is when your business takes off. Yes, sir. Come on. Gosh, ego is your greatest overhead. That's fantastic. Well, it's been a joy to be on with you, man. Absolutely, it. man. Likewise. We get, hey, we got to do this again. This flew by so quick. We should do this maybe every six months or so. I'm in, my friend. I'm in. Well, my, my final take for you, and I just put out a video on this called How to Live a Life with No Regrets. As you know, this by being a football fan is in the fourth quarter, people hold up that their four fingers, basically indicating it's the fourth quarter. And I believe how to live a life without regrets is viewing every quarter as if it's the fourth quarter. I mean, hold up that four, whether it's the first, the second, the third, because you never know where the moment's going to end. And I hope that uh, people on this podcast will listen, would do that same thing, and they would get after it, man. I appreciate mm, you. I love it. Where can they find you, brother? So the best place to find me is keepitfresh.vip. That is the weekly updates of things that are happening. Uh, the podcast is created for experience. Just go check it out on all the places where podcasts hang out. And of course, on the grams, that's where I hang out most too, is uh, Billy Bowie, B-O-U-G-H-E-Y. And I would love to link up with you and connect there. Love it, man. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for doing the uh, face-off with me. I love this format. You got it, my friend. We'll chat soon. Chat soon. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success. <laughs>